Isn't it exciting to be in the house of God this morning? Amen? Yeah. What a good day today. I'm, uh, I feel a little empty-handed. My wife and Bash stayed home. Uh, Bash is feeling a little under the weather, so keep him in your prayers. He, we've been, you know, we had a pretty bad night last night, so I'm just, if you see me that I'm, I'm feeling like I'm, I'm out of my game a little bit, I'm just, you know, I'm just lost here. I don't know what to do. Like, you know. um, <laughs> yeah, oh. No, but I'm, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for coming. Uh, my name is Moises. I'm the pastor here. If, you, if we didn't get a chance to meet, um, I, I'd love to meet you at the end of the service, um, get to know you a little bit more. Um, we love what God is doing in this community. And today, today, we continue the sermon series that we've been talking about. So we're excited about what God is doing through this series of keeping our promises. Um, what this means is we've been looking at this um, concept of basic, basic principles of life that speak of our generosity and stewardship in different areas of our lives. Believing that God is calling all of us to be more generous and good stewards of all the things he gives us. All right? So far, we've talked about time. We've talked about money. And weirdly enough, we're going to be talking about family today. Okay? All right. Some people are excited. Other people are like, ah, whatever. Yeah. Thanksgiving is coming. Exactly. Like we did it on purpose or something. And just like time and money, we believe that family is something that Jesus prioritizes and that he cares a ton about. Um, and his desire is that we will learn from scriptures what his goal is for our lives in this particular area of our lives. Because if you don't know by now, we have a God that wants to be in full control. Are you with me on that? He is not just looking for a fan base of people, okay? He's not looking for people that would just kind of come to church and just let him be whatever he needs to be, whenever we want him to be. No, he, he wants to be Lord of people, okay? So much so that he died for this very same reason. If I were to ask you this morning, and you ask yourself this morning, how does God really care about all these things that you're talking about, Moises? He cares so much so for it that he died for it. In Romans chapter 14, verse 9, it says, Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be what? To be Lord, okay, of both the living and the dead. The message translation says, that's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again, so that he could be our master across the entire range of life and death and free us from the petty tyrannies of each other. Man, do we need that. If this is true, then that desire, Jesus' desire to be Lord of our lives, that he died so much for it, then there is no time or place or activity or anything that you could involve your life in or routine that would require you to be outside of Jesus where Jesus is not your owner, he's not your provider, he's not your commander. He is all those things in our lives. I, I, I've always said it, and it's one of the things that I believe the most, that one of the things that Israel struggled the most with is that they wanted a Savior, but they didn't want a Lord. And a lot of us die in that mountain. We want Jesus the Savior, the one that died, the one that shed the blood, the one that did all these things. But when God says, I want to be Lord of your life, we shied back and say, that's not the God I want. I want the one that did all these things for me. Okay. And we'll never know joy and authenticity in the minute-by-minute minute doing of our daily lives until you are completely surrendered to the Lordship of God. Amen? 
until you say anything, Jesus, anything at school, at work, at church, anything, my family, my home, anything you say, God, anything you say, because we all want a happy home. Amen? We all want a happy home. And most people want a purposeful home. A home with mission and, and destiny beyond the mere satisfaction of our own daily desires. We want to see our children go, grow up. Okay? We want to see our homes be successful. Homes filled with respect, with laughter, instead of bitterness. Eye-to-eye -eye conversation instead of sporadic moments. Peace instead of conflict. A sense of common mission instead of festering selfishness all over the place. You won't meet a person that will tell you, I want my kids to fail. You never meet a new couple that says, we got married and our marriage is going to end. I can't wait. You don't join a church family and say, I hope to join this church family so one day I could be hurt by the church. But in order for us to accomplish this success, there is one simple truth that we must abide by. And I wrote it down on the screen. This Christian family life is a work of God's spirit in the lives of those who do everything for Christ's sake. All right? It's not necessarily how we do it, but why we do it. Not necessarily what we do, but who we do it for. Who we're living for. Family is complicated. Can I get an amen? <laughs> a double amen. It can look like a lot of different things. You don't pick your family, but you have to live with them. <laughs> we're going, yeah, we're going here. Oh, man. Can someone give Walt a ride home? I think he's going to need it. He's going to need it. <laughs> But the truth is that our, our, our family relationships could end up being the most complicated relationships we ever have in our lives. But when we follow God's direction for treating those around us, especially our family, our home life becomes a lot easier. You're not at war with the person that is sitting next to you. We sometimes wake up in the morning like we're in some kind of island, like we just got dropped off and the bell just went off and you're putting the stuff on your eyes like it's on. Like, uh, let's see who makes it out alive this morning, you know? Ultimately, God is not calling us to just survive with our families. He's calling us to thrive with them. For some of us, this may be the most far-fetching thing that you have ever heard because you're like, Moises, you don't know my family. They have a unique set of skills, man. <laughs> I feel like the amens are going to be flowing today in this place. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Ephesians 5 and 6, is, it's a very familiar text that a lot of us know about, but it deals with the wives and the husbands and the children and the fathers, which represents a typical household of that time. Those were still, those were and still are the three dominant relationships in a household. But for some reason, these three particular family members continue to get mentioned in Scripture because they constantly need it regulated. There was this constant 
advice that came across to the husbands and the wives and the sons and what to do and what not to do because there was a sense that these relationships constantly needed regulated. So if you have somebody difficult next to you today, they're great people. They just need regulated, okay? All right. She knows, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those are the guys that need regulated. Let's be real here. All right. I think they're missing the message here. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and regulated to what, you may say? Well, regulated to the idea that we constantly need, as followers of Christ, should be generated, something should be generated within all of us, this desire to make a difference for good in the people around us. Because ultimately, there's more on the line than just that conflict or that difficulty, okay? Eternity is on the line. Ephesians 5.21 says, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The general biblical principle of mutual submission in Christ has its goals to do what is best for others and to, to help them fulfill their God-given purpose. And this principle should be applied first and foremost to the family home, the Christian family home. Now let's look practically at how it breaks down. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 and 25. We're going to look at chapter 6, verse 1 and verse 4. Okay? Verse 22. Here it goes. You ready? Hold on to your seat really tight. Okay? Here we go. Listen, I'm, 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 I'm going to be really pastoral today. Okay? Don't take this. Let's just go, man. Let's go. So 522, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Number 25, for husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her. Number one, <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's, 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 a, there's a straight up sex battle happening in here. What? Wow, wow, let me get through this, guys. <laughs> oh, man. If you're new to this church, listen, um, hold on, okay? Hang in there. 6 1, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. 6 4. <laughs> Take that. Six four fathers do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. The kids should have been like, "Amen!" You guys missed the opportunity. We find these same rules in Colossians chapter three, verse eighteen to twenty-five. But let me give a word to the husbands or the men in the room. Okay, ladies are not allowed to talk here. Our God-appointed headship in the family is to be exercised in love on the pattern of Christ's love for the church. I believe that many people today make the mistake of saying that since mutual submission of all believers 
to each other is taught in that verse 21 that we read, there's no biblical distinction between the roles of a husband and a wife. And I believe that this is the largest breakdown of the family. It's a misrepresentation of the overlapping of roles. People who want to be something else that they weren't created to be. Just constantly trying to overlap roles within the family that are meant to work together. Okay? But the text is not allowing for this. Verses 22 to 33 spell out a unique form of lowliness and submissiveness of husbands and wives that they're, they're to take. The wife is compared to the church. The husband is compared to Christ. The husband is compared to the head. The wife is compared to his body. If all Paul wanted to say is that we should just submit to each other equally, then verses 22 to 33 should have been left out of the scripture in the first place. But we know from the letters that were written, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Timothy chapter 2, that Paul sees in the created order of God's appointed distinction between male and female. This makes a man's headship and leadership in marriage but both fitting and beautiful, not oppressing. All right? What the apostle is stressing here is that husbands should be eager to exalt Jesus. Okay? And therefore ready to conform their leadership to Christ. And how do we do this as men? We look at Christ. Christ fulfilled his headship and leadership over the disciples through sacrificial service. You want to know how to do it as a husband? You want to know how to do it as a man? Do it through sacrificial service. All right? Christ fulfilled his headship this way. Jesus did not cease to be the leader of the disciples when he stooped down to wash their feet. And when he hung on the cross, the weakest of the weak, for the sake of his bride, the church, he was no less the head at the time. The husband who thinks that his maleness requires of him a dominant, demanding attitude towards his wife is missing the entire picture. That is not a mark of a Christ-like behavior. That's childish bullying. We are being called to be leaders of our household under Christ. Under Christ. That's the priority. We get so caught up in leading, right? Another thing we must be aware of is that we, we cannot allow this today's feminist agenda to talk us into the idea that Christ-like leadership in the home is bad. In fact, it, 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 it's what our homes need more than anything. So, so a man or a husband in all your meekness, you know what meekness is? It's not weakness. It's meekness is power under control, which is constantly exercised by Christ through Scripture. He operated in meekness because he had the power to do it all, but he controlled it. 
And in all your servanthood and in all your submission to your wife's deepest desires and need, you are still the head, the leader. And it sounds like I'm saying a contradiction here, but I'm not. What I mean by this? You're like, man, it got serious in here, didn't it? Uh huh. It's that you, we should take the lead in the things of the Spirit in our home. It should. It is you who should lead the family in prayer, in the study of God's word, in worship. It is you who is called to be giving the family a vision and a meaning for their mission. It is you who should take up and lead in shaping the moral fabric of your home. And you should be in charge of controlling its peace. I have never, ever met a woman who was disappointed of discouraged because her husband had this Christ-like leadership to him. But you meet many women whose lives are unhappy because their husbands have no moral vision, no spiritual conception of what the family is even for, and therefore no desire to lead anyone anywhere. You know what I pray for? I pray that this church would be filled with men who know that where a man belongs is on his knees beside his wife leading her in prayer. Where a man belongs is beside his children leading him in devotion and prayer time. Where a man belongs is at the driver's seat leading his entire family to the house of God. Where a man belongs is up early in the morning alone with God seeking vision and direction for the family because there's more on the line than we think. Man, I I challenge you in the name of Jesus Christ, be where you belong. If there's anything your family, your household needs, is for you to be where you belong. Be where you belong. Let Let me talk to the wives for a second, the women in the room. Here we go. Bring it, right? I like Tammy's attitude. Verse 22. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. That little phrase, as to the Lord, has two implications. Okay? On the one hand, is that a woman's first and ultimate allegiance is to the Lord Jesus. Okay? And all other allegiances are subordinate to that first one. Okay? Therefore, all subordinate allegiances are limited by the revealed will of Christ. This means that the form a wife's submission takes will vary according to her husband's leadership. In other words, if the husband is a godly man who has biblical vision for the family and leads out of the things of the spirit, a godly woman will rejoice and support him for that leadership. However, if she thinks his vision is distorted and his direction is unbiblical, she will not sit in silence, but instead inquire from him in a spirit of meekness and may often save him from stumbling. I can't tell you the amount of times my wife has helped me through this. Where she has stepped in where I was failing and lacking and needing help. And she pulled me through a difficult situation. You're looking at this wrong. This is also why single women are able to endure. Because if their entire lives were bound by the leadership of any man, they would never be able to survive otherwise. 
we must understand that in both roles, there's a headship and it's Jesus. Okay? Frankly, in many ways, we get together and, and it ends up being more of a combined leadership structure. Okay? When I'm at home leading with my wife, there isn't like, you know, everybody's silence until I say good morning. And then we go on with our day. It's not like my wife and my son sit there like, oh, here comes the captain. What say you, sir? You know, like. The problem is that when we're stable and we understand this about each other, and I'm so thankful that Rosie and I have always agreed on this. This has never been a point of, of contention. Of course, we're, we're, we're Hispanic. We're a little bit traditional when it comes to that. I always tell the story that the first day I came home from work after being married to my wife, I sat on the couch. Rosie was finishing dinner, okay? And she got on her knees in front of me and started taking off my shoes. Check this out. It, I was like, wait a second. You know, I was embarrassed. She thought that was her role at the time. I don't know where she got it from, okay? I, I, don't ask me. She starts doing that, and you're like, why would she ever? I don't know. I didn't let her do it. It freaked me out. I started crawling up on the couch like. And she looked at me with the dead expression in her face, and he, she said, let me do it. I said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. I don't want us to do that. That's not how our home is going to be. Thank you, though. I, I, I want to acknowledge, like, whatever you feel in your heart that needs to happen right now. She said, I thought this was what I would do. And, guys, we've been married for a long time. But you, you have to understand that when this is, when, when you find leadership in your home and, and you, you find a way to balance this out, where you understand each other and it becomes this bonding moment that just makes you guys come together, it only, it only fails when someone takes the opposite and runs with it. When someone takes their leadership and says, it's my go, everyone shut up, follow me. Or I'm, we're not listening to you, you're crazy. The formula for success, not the formula for oppress, and it's all based on a simple principle. Check this out. Husband headship does not exempt us as men from correction. Okay? Just like a wife's involvement in shaping the direction of the family should not involve any sort of defiance to the leadership. That word submit, we get so caught up in it. We're like, uh-uh. It's used, not referring to a strict sense of obedience, guys, which is never used in scripture with respect to the wife's relationship to her husband. We think that we have to obey. You obey me, woman. That is not what it's talking about here. Instead, it is highlighting that both parties operate within their duties to exalt God and display their obedience to God. Not one another. Okay? Her God-given duty to her husband, in other words, how she obeys God includes love. Titus 2.4 says the older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. It talks about respect. 1 Peter 3.1 says wives must accept or respect the authority of, her, of your husbands. 
Number, number three, which is a big one, assist or helper. It's like, helper? Yeah, right. I'm no helper. Get out of here. Genesis 2.18 says, I will make him a helper who is just right for him. And I took a quote from Rosie here because her and I were talking about this. Of course, this women part, I had to sit down with my wife and be like, babe, listen to this. Is this okay? You know, like, you know, she actually gave me some really good insight. She had a whole book on this stuff. I, I, I was, <laughs> um, so I, I, uh, I sat down from her and she quoted this. She said that word helper, which also means nourish or sustain, describes function rather than worth. Function rather than worth. Purity, Titus 2, 5, to live wisely and be pure, the Bible says. Gentle, 1 Peter 3, 4 says you should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to the man. No, to God. Which is so precious to God. You're like, yeah, gentle and quiet. That's what I'm talking about. No, it's only meant to be precious to God. As a wife, as a woman, what you do is to reflect your obedience towards your God. To bring glory to his name because he's called you to do certain things out of duty. Okay? For the role that you play in the home. But it is to God that you're doing this for. Okay? A good mother. It also calls you to be a good mother in Titus 2.4. It says to love their children. But as a woman, if you hear all this and you say, no, there's no way. I'm not going down like this. You're not going to put me down like this? I call that living under the curse. Genesis chapter 3 verse 16 says that one of the results of the sin will be the curse to a woman. And the verse says that you will desire to control your husband. In some versions it said you would want to be like men. That's the curse in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16 for women. So if you ever find yourself letting that man in front of you dictate how you obey your God, you may be struggling with this concept, okay? Guys, and, and you're like, this is easy for you to say, you're a guy. We have been the ones that have decided to rank up the responsibilities, you don't ever see in scripture a weighing of responsibilities when it comes to this term. We have said to ourselves, well, what I do is more important than what you do. I, I'm this, you're this. Oh, why do you get to do that? And I get to do this. We have ranked the responsibilities ourselves and told ourselves that some are better than others. Do you think that's how God intended it to be? Do you believe that God really said, ah, you're just going to do this. This is way better. No. It's all based on the fact of obedience to him. How we reflect to him. We weigh those responsibilities and have said to ourselves, through the cultural nar narrative and the world we live in today, where it tells us that this is better, this is worse, this is not as good, don't ever let this happen, don't ever let that happen. It, it's just, we have let the culture decide what we believe is important to God and what it isn't. To submit to a husband, ask to the Lord, does not put the husband in the place of the Lord. Instead, it allows God to see the actions of a woman towards her husband as an actual part of her obedience to Jesus. It's not me. 
I'll let you down every time, Rosie. For some reason, God has decided to make me leave this home, which is one of the most stressful things. As a guy, I don't look at that responsibility and say, ha ha, I'm the leader. No, the spiritual being and, and responsibility of my home rests on my shoulders. That's, that's, that's a lot. That's scary. I don't feel fit or capable, but God has designed it this way. Number three, a word to the children. You may not be a husband in the room. You may not be a wife, but we are all children from the time we are born. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2 to 3, it says, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your, fa your father and your mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on earth. The word children here is more about relationship than it is about age. Okay? He's talking to all of us, all of us. To find the word honor puts a high value on this. Honor your parents. It adds a high value to the relationship and the function. To enjoy a long life on earth. This is very true today. You know, when we honor and hold true to these values, it changes things in the home. When we do the opposite, it doesn't. The U.S. De Department of Health and Human Services shows that poverty levels of children in single homes is 47%. That, that is four times the amount of any other homes with both parents in the home. When we, when we break this out, it gets harder. When we try to do this on our own, it gets more difficult. The biblical principles make sense. There is chaos when they are not present. Drug use, suicide rate, low education achievement, high school dropouts, early sexual exposure, and the list goes on and on. All kinds of sadness and brokenness come from the deterioration of the home. And you may be sitting here today, I grew up in that environment, and, and listen, that isn't, it isn't over, right? If you come from that background and you're in a difficult position, I, I believe that God's grace is excessive. It's too much. We can't even handle it. It's so much more than we could even com comprehend. Strong enough to definitely fix whatever you're going through. You know, you, you're like, that's the way my kids are. They're just crazy like that. Did you know that kids only inherit 20 to 30% of our characteristics? That percentage just goes up for identical twins, where kids only inherit 20 to 30% of who you are. The rest is on you. Isn't that important? That I have 70, 80% responsibility on who that guy turns out to be. You know? It's easier, uh, Frederick Douglass said, it is easier to build stronger children than to repair broken ones. There's this all African verb that says, that, a proverb that says, if you don't train the young boys early, they'll tear down the village. All right? Now, let's be practical. I want to give you four things that you can do to honor and obey your parents. And this goes across the board. If you're sitting here and you, you're like, you know, I got parents' voices, but no. Listen attentively is one of them. Something that my five-year-old knows nothing about. 
you know, and even as my parents get older, I try to listen to them more. Guys, it's not easy. I talk about my dad and my mom and how the influence that they were. Yes, but they're getting older, okay? And it's not easy. Eddie knows. If you're younger and you're talking to your parents and you're like, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. That says more about your impatience than your parents nagging you. You're, passion, you're pushing your parents away with statements like that. Instead, press in. Listen. Hey, what was it like, you growing up? Be a learner. They want to, sometimes your parents want to talk to you. You know? Spend time, intentional time. Listen to them. Be there. Number two, act responsibly. Be inclined in your heart to what they're saying. A resistant heart comes from pride and arrogance. None of us want to be that kind of a person. You know, we're going to act responsibly in everything that we do. Your parents are not always going to say the right thing to you. They're not always going to make the right statement. They're not going to be perfect. Just like you're not perfect. You know what my dad told me? I told my dad when I was in kindergarten that I was being bullied at school. Okay? My dad said, defend yourself, all right? He said, if the guy's bigger than you, find something. My dad, okay? It's my dad, the pastor here, guys, okay? You know what happened the next day? I was pushed up against a cage, okay, against a, like a, a gate, okay? The, the guy was taller than me, okay? I took a lock that was hanging on the thing, okay, that was open, and I hit the kid upside the head and cracked them open on top of the head. That's what my dad told me to do. <laughs> I wasn't bullied anymore. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> but it's just sometimes not going to fall in the right line, right? What do you think my dad said to me? Son, that's not what I asked you to do. Okay? <laughs> it's funny because the first miracle of Jesus came from a request from his mother. So, so we can find ways even when it's inconvenient to obey. Acting responsibly should not make you a know-it-all. Always remember that it's harder and extremely hard to give advice upward. Start with doing the dishes instead. <laughs> or taking the trash out without being asked to do it. I'm telling you that will be more witnessing of a living God to your parents than any biblical verse you can read to them, okay? <laughs> <laughs> speak gracious graciously my dad was not perfect my mom was not perfect but we must speak graciously you say moises but they don't deserve it of course they don't neither do you the grace of god is a free gift so if they failed you as parents now you're a kid and you still owe them the grace to honor them. 
That same grace that has been given to you. Did you know that while Jesus was preaching, his mom and his brothers trying to take him away because he was being a little too extra? They thought he was being a little too extra. His brother was mocking him for being a weirdo. And one of the last things he says on the cross is like, hey, can you wash over my mom? It doesn't change our responsibility and our duty. You know, it's, it, it may be difficult, but I would, I would encourage you to reconcile the relationship and speak graciously. Make the phone call, okay? And reconcile the relationship. You know, when, when Rosie and I first got together, um, she didn't have a good relationship with her mom because they came out of a divorce. So she saw my interaction with my parents and how our family was super combining. All she known was this sad, distract, you know, destruction in, in the family. And, and I really was able to say, babe, listen, we just pushed through an honor. Call your mom. Let's fix this relationship. Let's find ways to do certain things. You know, one of the things that we committed to as a couple very early on is that we would give my parents, I literally send my parents money every, every month. Okay, I had the honor of buying my dad two cars. I bought my dad a house in Charlotte. Okay, God gave me the opportunity to do these things. And you're like, man, because your dad was a good dad and he deserved it. No, because it was my duty and God was giving me the ability to do it. Amen. I don't mean that in a bragging way, but sometimes we're going to have to get out of the, the discomfort of life and the one and two scenario and say, this is beyond this. Amen? Speak gratefully. When you want to honor someone at a banquet, you say wonderful things about them. How many times have you expressed yourself about a family member or your parents and said, oh, man, my parents, my mom called me, man, and she, oh. There could be great things said about our family that, can, that, that, that would change the spectrum in the midst of all the madness. Steve Jobs sought out his biological mother after many years and people were asking him, why in the world would you even do this? And he said, simply to thank her for having me. He didn't need anything from her. He said, I have nothing to be grateful about. A few years back, the U.S. government determined that from age 0 to 12th grade or age 18, Parents spent about $250,000 on their kids. Half a million, Ivan. <laughs> so if you have nothing to be thankful for, be grateful for the quarter million you received as an investment in your life. And parents, don't bring it up. It'll kill the moment, okay? This is a moment for the kids. Now, see, I invested 100. Come on, you should be grateful for something. You owe me 250,000. I mean, guys, there is a God-ordained pattern of headship and submission, leadership and joyfulness with support of that leadership within the family unit. Okay? It has been conceived by God and revealed to us that we might discover happiness at the home, a meaningful submission for our family. I believe in this so wholeheartedly that I, re I refuse to marry someone that's outside of the faith. I won't do it. I remember sitting across from a couple that the guy wouldn't acknowledge Jesus as his Lord and Savior. 
And I would literally stop right there. I feel so bad because the wives, I knew her since she was a little girl. And now she's older. He's always known me as Pastor Moises. And she's like, Moises, he, I want you to marry us. And I'm like, you, you need to, this has to be, you need to profess this faith. I believe in a God. I mean, there's something up there. No, no, we're going to do this in the name of Jesus. Because I believe that what I'm doing is that important. I'm bringing two individuals together, okay, that are going to have children. And this is going to be an ongoing domino effect that if we don't start at the ground level, at the base level, it's not going to work. This is a beautiful design from God, not an oppressive design from God, meant to bring you success in life, to make you the best version of yourself that you could ever hope to be. And we rebel against it. We don't like the details of it. It's that important to me. I want my son to see a dad that is present. That when I get home, I know that I only have a few hours with him before bed. And the way our minds work and our memories are flashes. They're like pictures. I don't want Bash to see the last picture of me, of me scrolling to a phone, pretty much saying to him that the, the, the only thing I pick, I pick anything on this thing over you. When we, think in, when we think of our entire family dynamic, it can seem very overwhelming. But we should look at this understanding that the small choices you make will make a difference with the big results you want to see. You want to know where to start? Start with the first step in front of you. It maybe starts with an apology, with a call, with some sort of acknowledgement or conversation. Start that small. They got mad at me. They didn't listen to me. I make the call. Make the call again. Psalms 90 is the only psalm that was written by Moses. And verse 1 says, Lord, you, ha you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. We have relied on you through all the generations. And then he goes on on verse 12 to say, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Man, you're like, where are you going with this? It's every moment counts. Every decision counts. Every minute, how intentional we are about everything we do counts. This is, um, don't waste time you don't have damaging the things that matter most. You know, there's an entire people, group of people counting on you. One of the things that my best man said at my wedding is my brother. He had just recently lost his wife and his daughter. And of course, he grabs the mic at my wedding one month later after this taking place. And he said, I'm sure it's this moment because you don't know when it'll be gone. We are wasting time we don't have. And we're letting our surroundings control what we do and how we do it. And where our focus lives, we don't have. Teach us, God, to number our days. Because we don't have time to waste here. The family unit, the Christian family unit today, needs to be stronger than it has ever been. If we say that there's a solution to the world today, it's strong Christian homes that lead the charge on the example on who we should be as people.
I want my son to grow up and realize that that 80% you deposited on me changed my life. It made me the man that I am today. Where he becomes whatever he becomes. Forget like, ugh, I just want him to have faith because I know if he has faith, his life will be a ton better. This is the design we talked about from God. Don't rebel against it. Don't rebel against it. You're playing with time you don't have. Amen? Bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. God, you, you are very honest and direct with your word this morning, God, and we thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that you would grow conviction within us that allow us to head in the right direction. That is, if as husbands in the room or as men in the room, we have been lacking in an area of our lives, let us step up to the plate and know, Lord, there isn't much time that you have put these relationships in front of us so that we may grow and lead them. There are, there are wives in the room or women in the room, Lord, that need to understand, God, that they're serving you in all they do, that it is their obedience to you that counts even more, God. Help them. Help them to be that support system that we need so much, God. And all the children in the room, God, allow us, Lord, to get out of our own ways and to make the call, to make the approach, to be there for our children, not to provoke them, Lord, but to help them through any process of difficulty in life, to call our parents, Lord, and, and thank them for how good they are, to, to speak graciously on them, to listen to them, God, to act responsibly, to be grateful for everything that they have done for us, God. Help us, God, to be better children in general, God. As we honor you, let us honor our parents to show that same sense of affection, knowing, God, that it is our duty and our responsibility to do so, Lord. I pray for this body, for this church family. May it be healthier than ever. Help us, Lord, to carry around a sense of urgency, knowing, God, that you may be the one calling us to all this so that we would lead the charge in a community that needs it. Help us, God, to be the right people for the job. It is your will that we do so. So we thank you, God, and give you praise this morning. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Can you give God praise this morning real quick?